Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Only General Podcast. As always, I am your host, Chris, and we have another fun-filled episode for you today. Joining us on the podcast is Mr. Scott Johnstone from the band Insert Coin. We discuss the recording of Smiling Still as well as the future of the local metal scene. We also get a glimpse into Scott's recently announced solo project, John's Tone. That's a whole lot to digest, so let's get to it. With me today is Scott John Stone of Insert Coin, a man who needs no introduction. Say hi to the people on the internet, Scott. Hello. And his deep, sexy death metal voice. You know, Scott, a lot mm-hmm. of people don't seem to realize that Insert Coin is a very, very, very important metal band in Trinidad. And Tobago. It's very important to me because Smiling Still was the first CD, local CD, I ever bought. And from the time I kind of bought it blindly because I had only seen a very, very, I had a very minimal interaction with Insert Coin. I don't think you guys used to play a lot of this stuff from the track live. And the shows that I did see you guys play, it was with other people and very late me being a young boy I couldn't stay out too late to see all your mash up the place by young I talk about 16, 17 I had strict okay. parents and when you press play on that album and it opens with I believe Bastards mm-hmm. yeah. that the CD player in my shelf just started shaking and it was that was like a it was almost a kind of like I don't know a different moment for me because when James started to rip with James' voice and it's a Trinidad accent on the album, that that was a game changer for me because I went to a CD store, bought a CD in a jewel case, a white jewel case, wrapped in plastic, opened it up, and it was like a production made in Trinidad and Tobago. And to me, that was like the only other place I would see that was like Soka CDs. And so... I want to thank you personally on the podcast right now for breaking me out in that regard. You, you, you pop my, um, my, my, my local metal cherry boy, Scott, in a real surreal moment. But let's talk a little bit about the recording of Smiling Still. Now, that was recorded when? 1990. That was 99. So late. I thought it would probably have been a little bit earlier. It, that was a... James it, James is better at this with dates. Um, but late nineties, yeah, um, late nineties might have been the first insert because Brown Fox, my first show ever of all time was nineteen ninety five, which was Freedom ninety five, which was a show in um, Shaguanas, mm-hmm. right? Which is actually where I met James and Steve Barrington a long time ago. Um, so. Let's say first album might have been. I think that first 97, album was 90, 90, yeah, 97, 97. Yeah, 97. So maybe 99 might have been Smiling So. Well, I knew it came out after. Life is. It may have came out after. Um, not not Life is Peachy, but the the second Corn album for sure. That's Life is Peachy. Life yeah. is Peachy. Yeah. And Follow the Leader was the third one, but it, yeah. it falls somewhere in it's between. It's somewhere there. in between. Yeah. 
Um, that uh, actually was we had started the, the entire process with Ryan Agassini, mm-hmm. um, which was Eclipse Audio, or, or what became Eclipse Audio. I don't know if in those days it was called Eclipse Audio, but I think it was. And we started off with them first album, second album. Um, the third album was Smiling Still. Um, Giles got involved in that. Uh, he brought his... I think in terms of recording on that album, it was Giles Marshall 4x12 combined with my Mesa. Because I had a Mesa then. Which the, one was the that? Mark III. Mark III, okay. Yeah, which is no longer in existence. Well, it, I have it, but it's given that it doesn't work. Well, fun fact, it was featured on the um, thebandfield.com had an animated GIF. Hmm. And it was actually the the Mesa Boogie logo and the grill was the featured in it. Very, it's the old school one which says Mesa slash Boogie. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, well, before Mesa Engineering, but... Yeah, yeah exactly. But, yeah, yeah, it was the slash. I remember seeing that, like, on the loop. I was like, oh. Yeah. It's like, yeah. No, I, I mean, not a segue, but in those days, I didn't know what the amp could really do, you know. It was the days of... Solid state, yeah. It's complete. I understand fully. That's just how time was yeah but i mean if, if we if we're talking about recording from first insert down i mean i we, we could go into that later if you want to talk specifically about well smiling i want to know about smile still because science still is you listen to it now and it kind of captures that moment in the 90s where everybody was using heavy scooped rp 2000s i think every band in trinidad and tobago was using a digitech rp 2000 um, it was this signature sound that I think you would probably say after that became Trinidad Local Metal. Well, Local Rock on a whole, because that was the template. That was like the iconic album of that era yeah. that then shot up because every album after that comes back to that production of Smiling. So at least in my eyes, okay. I look at it as that ground beacon from the reverse effect when you open on the album. Uh, I think the song Smiling Stills, you had that kind of, yeah. you know, reverse effect. And yeah. even Bastards, where you had the heavy, like, harmonic interlude and stuff like that as you open the song. It was a very, very fresh and raw sound and kind of like Limbiscuit's Tree Dollar Billy all at the time. And it was a very, very raw, because that's how I looked at it. Because I remember tuning it on, like, this this album is raw as fuck. It sounds yeah. great. Like, for now, I'm curious to see, like, how was the recording process for you then? Because I don't know how old you were when you recorded that. Let's say it was 99. I can't remember how well, old well, I was. Well, late 90s. But we've come a long way since then. Because you do realize that's like more than 20 years In my years 20s. Ago. I was in my 20s. Okay. Right? Early 20s. So, um, let's go back to the... What was a big um, part of that album was that's when Bernard came into the band. Okay. The, the drums. Right? In general. So, that album was written in my bedroom in the cyber very much with all of us in my bedroom, mm-hmm. right? James on the bed, Bernie in a little corner. Uh, my Mesa tucked in some corner there. In the bed anyway. Yeah. And we basically did what we did and record, well, eventually record the album, but it was written right there in the bedroom, okay. right? Um, I think one of the 
the biggest differences between first insert and second, what we call second, which never actually came out because we could talk about that situation after. Yeah, we'll go right into that. Yeah. Um, was Bernie. Um, he was... I was playing in Max, Max Bitu with him for, I don't know, a couple of years at the time. And then basically asked him to join the band. And his influence on me, both him and Keith Chen, Chen Pang, um, in Max With You, had impacted very heavily on me as a player. Okay. And him joining Insert at that point in time really shaped what Smiling still became in terms of rhythmically. I think it also let Chad spread his wings as well because oh, yeah. Chad played some amazing like bass line grooves that he was the entire album was very much a an organic thing it was because you listen to compare that to say some of the older stuff like Space Invaders and you can see the second coming of Insert it was like the more mature mature yeah. and not on here just to show how fast I could play but I could put together quality music. Yeah. yeah. And I'll I will say it right now as probably one of the top five most important rock albums in Turned Out History. Like up I'd there. like to know the other four. Um uh, Well that's I would really have to sit down and work all that out, but definitely between Dead Fairies and the Dead Fairies EP. Because okay. Dead Fairies is even more important. We're gonna get to Dead Fairies okay. just now. But Smiling still, though, in terms of commercial success as well, because I know people who had never heard Insert Coin, like seen them live, who've never been to a rock show, but could recognize one or two tracks off of it. That is, that you see, that's the importance of an album. That's when you know you have a good album. It's kind of like when Orange Guy dropped Stone to the Bone, mm. the Vitamin D. Nobody, nobody, nobody knew Orange Guy, but hey, they sing that Stone to the Bone song. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the recording process for that, you guys did that. Did you do it in a studio or did you yeah. record it like just so, like the, you mic up four by twelves like how you do now or was it like So it was multi tracked? The exact same thing that Alright, so the differences, let's say the differences. So Brinny, mm-hmm. right, was the difference. That's one. Two RP two thousand. Hells yeah, rectify settings. Yeah. Actually I didn't use the rectify settings. Strangely enough, I used the um uh a VH4. Ah. Actually yeah. a lie, a Soldano. Soldano. Oh yes, yeah. the slow one hundred. Yeah, slow one hundred. Yeah. Which was another good one. Yeah. And I ran that into the clean channel of the the boogie. So you ran that into the front of the amp. Fuck yeah. Yeah, so this is late nineties. Tar- yeah. It's pre line six motherfucker. Correct, right? And Giles' input on this was he's bringing down his 4x12 and we're micing both caps. At the same time? At the same time. So how, In a room? Yes. And so the boogie was mic'd and his cab was mic'd, I think. For the kids who don't know, the boogie is a combo. Yes, a combo. 1x12 one one combo, EV12L, which is a very, very, is electro voice speaker. It's a very iconic speaker for boogies in those days. They Some of Randall Smith's best choices. Yeah. Very, very good. Um, Pick tw- up Randall Smith. He's yeah. a listener of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's a 200-watt speaker. It has its own characteristics. 
And then we mic'd up the 4 by 12 which I think was GT75 Celestians. I believe so. If it's probably like a late 90s Marshall, yeah. it would probably... Well, no, he had um, the Silver Jubilee, so it's the Silver Jubilee cap. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. well, then that in itself is a very good, good cap. You know, I bet you right now, Mark Rangers listen to this and smiling. He's like, fuck yeah. Yeah, smiling still, right? Aha! <laughs> um, but yeah, so we did that um, in terms of recording. And I'm sure you use like 57s, 58s. Yeah, 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 57s. Um, and we did that, and it sounded real cool. It was real fat. It was real. It was different. Oh, and another game changer. That's the point in time when I got my RG seventy six twenty one twenty. And that was that's the coin guitar. No, the black one, the yes. Ibanez. Yeah, which I which I have dubbed the coin guitar because that's the one from what from I've known you from ever since. Yeah, that I've seen you play live that yeah. you've been using. Yeah, that I took my first loan for. My dad happened to be moving on a. A Florida, jumping from state to state. Thank God he was moving from state to state because he couldn't find it until I think something where he went Jacksonville or something and found it. That's before the internet, everybody. Yeah, correct. And um, I took a loan and I gave him the money. Um, it was twelve hundred US at the time, which was very expensive for a guitar. That's top tier because Les Paul's at that and time. And it was made in Japan. Yeah. Right. Les Pauls at that time were about $1,200. So yeah. now that would probably be about a $2,000. Today, by today's standard, it would probably yeah. be about $2,000 even as. Yeah. So it, it's top tier. Yeah. Um, so that came into the frame at that point in time. And maybe that was the difference uh, as well. Um, it sounded damn good. It was cool. It's a little dark because it had the original Blaze pickups in it, which are a little dark. But at the time, everybody was scooping anyway. Well, everybody was using... If it wasn't that guitar, they were opting for the U777 or whatever the universe version was, which had Blaze anyway. Yeah, that was the ball and guitar. That yeah. was that's what Limbiscuit made famous. Well the ball and guitar was mine actually. Well there you go. Yeah. That was that was the template that everybody I think in ninety six everybody was using all over the place. And then nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight, the entire rock game had switched. Yeah. Ibanez came through with like an iron yeah. fist. And Which they, I guess is when I got mine, right? So yeah, around that. I guess it, so. I guess in time period, correct. It's 99. 99, yeah. 97, 99. Because yeah. I think because Dead Fairies came out in 2001. Yeah. Because I was at that album launch and I was right before I left to go Colorado. So 2001, 2002 would be Dead Fairies. Even though Apple, iTunes, and people in the comments can be like, iTunes says it's 2003. Yeah, but. Uh, that's me putting in dates because I put it up on iTunes and I don't know anything. No, there so, you go. So, there you go, right? I go 1999, 2000, 2001. And, and, and we, who knows? James might tell me it's wrong, but I don't know. I just went on. Actually, it's actually James that had on the folders. He had put the kind of earmark dates, which is what is on iTunes. We could always check it and correct in comments, but I yeah. believe, because I remember buying that CD in just CD's Starlight. So, that's kind of period correct for the time. Because that was before Digital came and that was pre-Movie Town. And they only had two just CDs in Trinidad, yeah, really. They had the one in Long Circular Mall. Yeah, and the one in Woodbrook, right? No, Long Circular Mall and Starlight at the time. Right. Where the Digicel is now. Yeah. That was a Just CDs because it used to span the entire band of Just Music and I would yeah. go inside there for hours because you had your little punch card. Yeah. A local CD was $100. A foreign CD was 120 Yeah. 
So all they get my money. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> no problem. So <laughs> how long did it take the recording process for that up? Because I I kind of want to geek out on this because I don't think it's been documented anywhere. A weekend. You guys recorded all twelve tracks. First, second, and third. And so it was a weekend. Every time we go in on a One Friday, weekend. drums would go down. I think Friday. I could be wrong here. It may be longer. But it felt like a weekend. Like we'd go any Friday, drums would go down, Saturday guitar and bass would go down, and vocals would go down on Sunday. It it might be longer than that. Maybe the music itself went down a weekend, and maybe James came in and went down one day after that, but it really wasn't long. It wasn't a long process no. at all. And all of the work um, happened before. Um... We wrote everything, we practiced everything, and we just went in and recorded it. Then you get it hammered out because you spelled in real time recording. I assume you didn't record on a computer. Yeah, actually. Wow. Yeah. So they use like uh, so Ryan always used Pro Tools. Wow. Okay. Because I there think in the entire time that this is tape. Nah. And cassette nah. to real. That so would guys, be cool. But But no. you guys were cutting edge of the time then, basically, because that's Well, it's not us. Ryan was cutting edge. Um, and he was a very, I mean, this is a guy that went away with Orange Sky, mm-hmm. later this, later down the line, and they were playing with Mamstein, and Mamstein came up to him and said, you Kabi, this band Kabi sounding better than me, and end up taking Ryan to mix Mamstein too. So he mixed both of the bands. Wow. That is, that is bedroom engineer goals, everybody. Yeah. You know, one day. No, he's real good. Well, yeah, because you you listen to those albums now and you compare it to some of the albums that came out at the time. And the insert stuff was always far above, like sonically above the rest. And it was the driving force that everybody then followed. Because I remember after Smiling Still Dropped, you guys did you had some pretty big shows. You had like, I think it was what, Decibel with comedy lecture and then you went on tour so yeah the decibel thing was the genesis of changes because we played that show and i think we played really well it's on youtube actually the the actual concert and we sat down with i think it was jeff glitzman at the time mm-hmm. who had just signed uh lincoln park or something yeah. And he was like, Y'all are no hits. You have and, no hits. Yeah. And I remember going home that night feeling dejected. Kind of shitty, yeah, yeah, kinda bitter now. Because and that was a battle of the bands, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the winner of this showcase goes to LA now. Yes. Yeah. And I remember it being a big deal because it was hyped up quite a bit yeah. on Battlefield and, and yeah. stuff like that. Big up Dexter. He's, yeah. a, he's, a, he's a regular listener, by the way. Yeah. Um, And they were like, yeah, you know, comedy lectures coming. Everybody had to be there. Yeah. And you guys played. Yeah. I remember you guys mashing up. Yeah. we. I think we did real well. Um, But yeah, I mean, we were told that the stuff wasn't, I guess, catchy enough. Um, And yeah, I went to him that particular night and didn't go to sleep and wrote most of what you know as changes which coincidentally 
is probably Insert's biggest tune. How ironic is that, right? No fucking irony. <laughs> don't take away anything from what happened vocally or melodically, but in terms of musically, that happened to go and come out now. Mm-hmm. Um, it started off with the peep 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 parts, yeah. Yeah, the very very catchy. Yeah, and then he riffed the other gen band and that gen came over that, and then that was a part, and then the rest came. And then the breakdown and well, the rest happened. Yeah, it just kind of all. To be honest, the other stuff probably happened together with the whole band in the band room, but that, the main riff and the chorus riff happened at home. Whatever, the rest of the stuff probably happened in the band room. A lot I, of stuff happens in the band room. Whether, it, like, for instance, with Billy, um, which was James picking up the guitar or something and playing something, and I take it and take something, and he says something. A lot of things happen like that. Yeah, that's how it's collective writing. It's great sometimes if you could work organic. Yeah. Uh, if everybody could feed off one another. Yeah. And write something, but change. But you know, you would be home and you write something, and you bring something, and then other guys say, "Oh, what about this?" or whatever. It's nice. Collaborative. It's yeah. good. But yeah, changes was a big, big, big. It still is. A big deal because the minute you guys play that song, everybody knows it. And that was like the breakout insert. And a lot of people don't realize that Dead Fairies was an EP. It, yeah, it was short. It was only like, what, eight or nine? Um, It was really, it was very, very short. I yeah. went to that um to that Dead Fairies launch, actually, in St. James. Um, it was a Wednesday night. I uh, had exams done already. Yeah, we played that in what, Pablo's? Nah, that wasn't Pablo's. That's where Charon's bookstore used to be. There was a casino there on the corner. Mm. And they had a pool table and stuff up there. And if you bought a ticket for the show, you get a t-shirt. I still have my Dead Fairies t-shirt, eh? With the right. Orchard vibe. Right. You kids, you kids might not know what Orchard vibe is, eh? But if you only knew how big of a deal Orchard vibe was, it'd be hip and cool. Right. I used to advertise in this. <laughs> Remember freaking this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. Orchard Vibe was, and that was that was the thing. That was like my first like local rock T-shirt because I remember, um, at the time, Siam Nat, who plays in Anti Everything and Hatchling, he was going Hillview at the time. I was in international school. We used to talk online. His cousin was in my chemistry class, and he he sent a hundred dollars with his cousin and said, "Get me an insert T-shirt from that show, please." I went that Wednesday night. I had school the next morning, you know. I went, jumped in my car. I couldn't get anybody to go. I remember myself in the Blessing James Park in the back. Went upstairs, listened to Insert. Gave my t-shirt and then, and then I told Chad that I was leaving the country. Because <laughs> I had to leave a couple weeks later because then I was flying out to go mash up Colorado and eventually <laughs> come back to Trinidad. So I took a slight break. But yeah, yeah, Insert was my last show and Dead Fairies was um, a very, very, very good EP because I know at your birthday party show, you guys played some stuff up of it. Uh, Blinky had a time creating a pit by himself. Um, he is very great. The man yeah. is the epitome of vibes. Yeah, he is. He is. He is. Blinky is a... um, And everything that is good about music. Well, yeah, because... I think and, and lyrics and vibes and, and just I mean that's a segue. That is that is a segue and um I wanna talk about Dead Fairies because that summer was 
when did you guys end up you guys toured the united states a little bit of it no. or you just stayed in trinidad that was it so that entire thing that happened ended up being fun mm-hmm. but a bit of a disaster so we put things in place we had insert aid to fund us yeah um to get up there in the first place um we did that and that's great but for you two the, the plane ride is the first thing yeah because you guys wanted to go west coast well we had to because that's where we we're going so it's fucking expensive yeah um because we're going to la right um just, just pouring a drinky drink everybody yeah Don't mind me. yeah so we go into la um so the the flight is one thing mm-hmm. you have to organize of course room on board yeah once we reach there we have and this is pre-abnb yeah yeah so it's we have to expensive. organize everything from a drum kit come forward because you're going to be playing this show this showcase yeah so we end up liming and fortunately liming with a band at the time that was like lend us their kit mm-hmm. kind of thing and we rented interestingly i rented a mark three exactly like mine we got a whatever the bass amp was a cool bass amp adam uh, at the time bought in la bought his carving yeah the legacy yeah the legacy and so we had everything we needed and there was a i guess we come to the to to this venue um my galaxy who is the promoter had told whoever the guy was there listen let them sound check or whatever but make sure that when they're going to play make sure that they play at x time okay that was never communicated to us we were supposed to play let's say at seven o'clock in the night he told him let them play at 11 wow so that was never communicated to us so we came there at seven and played to nobody maybe three people it sucks right it does suck so you you go up there for this supposed showcase that you're very excited about because there's industry people and all this kind of thing coming to hear you. You think, hey, this you're going to get signed, whatever. This is it. This is it. Yeah, this is, you're, you're gazing up. This and is it. And you play to three people. What the fuck happened? Yeah. So Mike walks in and we're there and he's like, what the fuck is going on? You all played? And he's like, I told them not to tell you all to play at this time. To play at X time instead of this time. And it's too late. Yeah, I played once already. Yeah. And this was before people had cell phones to record. Stuff like that. Jason George was there. He happened to be up there. And so we had fun. He was there. He got to see it. He would remember these things. Um, And we had fun liming after. But at the end of the day, to say it was... This great moment in time for us. It was it was a hard reality. It was trip. a nice trip, and dealing with the engineer any place really opened up my eyes in terms of skill set, because yeah. he was like snare, all right, kick, okay, good. Literally, sound check took fifteen minutes. Everybody, if yeah. so long, and the man had us dialed in. That was a big eye opener for me. And I bet he let you turn up as loud as you want. Oh, so, he yeah. didn't care. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I will handle it. 
Yeah, exactly. And it was and the other thing that was a bit of a culture shock was your entire kit had to come up on stage. Yep. All your gear. In the front. And then you play John John, you stop and everything has to move off. Because the yeah. next man is waiting there with their kit to come on and, and their come stuff off. to come on. Which is a they don't deal with backline. Because I remember when you play those shows up there, the opening band would have a little two by four section. Your kit in front of the rider of the opening act. And everybody would be lined up to go back. So the the opening band essentially has the smallest bit of stage. Then you pull your shit off and the people behind you think it's a little bit bigger stage. Then well, this wasn't off. even that. This was move your shit on, move your shit off. Next band, move your shit on, move your shit off. I it's a clear... Mark three? God damn. Yeah. When fun. you're young. Yeah, when you're young, exactly. So that was that. Um, then came what? Futility, I guess. Futility. Which was probably, I think, why that insert album seems kind of dark in terms of sonically because I think like post-Dead Fairies and the collection of, because I think Chad left the band then and he had No, gone. Chad had left the band uh, Dead, before yeah, Dead Fairies. Yeah, yeah, Dead he Did he play on Dead Fairies, boy? I saw him at the Dead Fairies EP launch, so I assume Yeah, Chad, Chad Think Chad played on yeah that Chad would have played on Dead Fairies because Chad also yeah Chad played on Dead Fairies and then because I had Chad's LTD for a while it was the first LTD I ever played by the way what the seven the seven yeah that was a nice guitar which then became Dion has, Dion's yeah, guitar Dion has um after that was Justin and Adam together well just uh, Adam was in Dead Fairies days mm-hmm. um yeah and then it was Justin and Marty. And then Orlando played on Futility. Yeah. Landy played on that. This uh, was like 2003. 2004. Six. Six. Okay. Yeah. Six, that album came out. And that was a mixture between Bernie playing some things and Anthony playing some things. So that was when Insert really started to change sonically. Because yeah. Melodically, big time. Like, um... I would say in terms of maturity, in terms of writing melodically, that's where we started to... James could start to spread his wings a bit more. Yeah, his vocal performance of future. No, it's... it's, As I have expanded musically, I realize like a lot of the time in the early stuff, it it, it may have been... uh, a bit non-melodic in terms of the riffs and whatnot. Um, so it was difficult mm-hmm. as a singer to be able to move around and do cool things. He did great. Um, futility was going up and up, I guess, in terms of melodic stuff. And then, of course, the last album, in the end, was the, the pinnacle in terms of my personally for me his vocals and and he wrote a story which was insane i mean i would aspire as a as a writer and vocalist to be able to even reach near that any any vocalist for that because his melodies were insane now. yeah no yeah. that's the see in the end album yeah yes good and that's when you guys got your new branding. Well, yeah. The I with the 
Well, yeah, that was always there, but scribble. That's when the you know the eight strings started to come into play. The and sugar. Now, the interesting thing about Instacoin is that I can look at from a music perspective, right? Because I'm a guitarist and I'm always tuned in to this kind of shit, and I I geek out on it in in a big way. Because when Murky Murks was here, it all comes down to context. Yeah. You look at when Smiling Still was released. Then you look at when Futility was released. Then you look at when In the End is released. And you can really begin to see it's like kind of like sampling of what's hot. Because Smiling Still is like that pre-new metal phase where you really know it's still heavy guitars. It's dying days of grunge. Have your heavy multi multi effects and people now starting to experiment with new ways and Mesa's big so that sound is in. Then you get a little more modern. Well E B Ferry's AP is kinda like people have a tendency to forget that MTV at the time had new metal as a very pop yeah. genre. Stained. Exactly. Metal was mainstream to an extent that like Family values would sell out, and Slipknot was now coming big, and Linkin Park was on the horizon, and this heavy music was mainstream, because running parallel to you guys at this time too, as Dexter would say, is Tripped and Falling, who were captivating the pop punk vibe. And you guys are running side by side, and then which is lovely because we coexisted, right? Yeah, it was. We played shows together, which is super cool. That two different, well, if you look at them as genres. Well, funny thing, um, a heavy band and a well, they were heavy in their own way. But they were punk. They were pop punk. They're like Blink One Eight, Do Some Forty One. That kind of stuff was. But it's still heavy. Yeah. Um, and it's just different types of heavy. Mm-hmm. Or different types of deep or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And we'd coexist and play shows together. Exactly. And, and interestingly enough, Chad was in that band. Yeah. Right? So, which is cool too. Right? Because um, you sit down and, and you look at those things and it's like, it's definitely, it's just speaking to the times of like how rock was really like a forefront to a musical genre in the mainstream. Because I remember after the Dead Fairies EP, the two weeks or three weeks after, Tripped and Fallen had their band, their album launch for their first album. Yeah. And when we reached there, current gone. So they had to cancel the gig in typical St. James fashion because the Transformer blew and they had to go back three days later, which ended up being like a Tuesday or some nonsense like that for that, for that show. Because mm. it just, same venue, And I sure that was Pablo's in them days. Nah, this was pre-Pablo's because Pablo's came out in the in the mid two thousand two, because I was I was away when Pablo's was a scene, because um, I remember going to see World Cup games, the Trinidad game and Pablo's. So that's when I had come back, sorta. So Pablo's Pablo's wasn't there yet because the only places where they would have good rock shows were like Coconuts, Outer Limits. Well, Outer Limits was now rebranding itself. This place, I forget the damn place but it's where Charon's bookstore used to be it's a casino now it's the red brick thing on the corner and they had it upstairs next to Mograpo Girls RC you would know the building when you pass it it ran in a blank 
They're running on Broadway. It used to be Charon's Bookstore. I forget what street is. The street after Bourne's Road. In St. James. Um, Pablo's came afterwards. That's when probably you were in 78 and stuff like that. That's that era. Because that's really post-coin. And that's when I came back. Pablo's was still a thing. 2006, 2007. Because I know plenty of people who would line there. And also we had Shakers then. Because Shakers was a competitor to Pablo's. But all you guys played those shows pre-Pablo's. And pre-Shakers. Because Movie Town hadn't opened yet. Yeah. So, it's interesting to see how times have changed. And you watch the progression of music. You can really sit down and say, Alright, well, Scott and James are listening to this now. Because the heavy eight-string stuff. And the real heavy influence is also speaking of like that kind of counterculture that got really, really small. Gent. Gent. Degent. Um, like Lynchpin. You know, Trinidad's best gent band. Mindscape and stuff like that. Um, all that is birthed from that, you know, millennial angst era, but it's a different kind. Well, we have to ask them that, right? We can't just assume that that's where they came from. Well, this is my it's my podcast. This is my perspective. Yeah. So this is all my opinion. <laughs> you know, but this is... Because this Buck might tell you he learned that from Chutney. Buck does use a Kemper. He's not <laughs> here anyway, Right? <laughs> And, um, we do not use Kempas on the only general podcast. <laughs> Going digital, we use in line six. <laughs> Shameless plug. Um, no, but again, it you look at it because, and this is what I see happening. Let's talk a little bit now about the scene right now. Because after Limbiscuit and Linkin Park kind of collapsed, in the sense that the mainstream stopped playing it, MTV died, radio died. We then get this era of very, very niche market music becoming what people listen to. How you as a musician have to try and balance that niche market to then appeal to a fan base big like the insert fan base? Um, good question. Um, hmm. Take your time. I have... Pour an extra drink if you want to. We have all night. Yeah. I um, have real issues with the... Where music has gone. Because I look at it... I mean, I uh, I talk to my wife about this all the time. Pick up the wives of the podcast. But yeah. The wives of the, the podcast. They, they are the rocks that make everything happen. The the core. The core. Um, But it's... Did it drop... Did it was the demise from the boy band and girl bands that came out? So the Britney and Britney Instinct, Backstreet ESP. Boys, and Instinct, as I call it, all the all the names. Well, when Justin that, went solo. Eh? Less Justin is very talented. Yeah. All right, but at the end of the day, those bands that came in kind of started to crush what everything that came before it. So it was about image. And not necessarily talent. Mm-hmm. Um, we've struggled. I mean, if anybody has seen this show with Bradley Cooper and um, and Lady Gaga, oh, Stars Born. Yeah, it's a good example of what is happening in the industry. So she's just this girl. There's this man that have real rock and roll meets her. 
brings her out, they're singing together, it's very organic, and then all of a sudden some producer swoops in and takes her and makes her into this doll that is about the makeup and the dancing and the this and the that and not about the music. The individual and, commercial marketer. And then what happens is that he then goes down the road and she then goes exactly back to the point where she was, which is about the music, right? Spoilers, everybody who hasn't seen it. It's so old. If they haven't seen it now, well, sorry. Point is, um, we have always been, or me, me personally, because I can't talk for everybody else, but anytime I write something, I write something based on what I'm feeling at the time, or it just comes out. I don't know where it comes from. I thank God for giving me the talent to be able to hold an instrument and be able to play it. Big up God, he listens to the podcast too. Well, he, he, by extension, he can't help it, right? Um, at any day, it, it's it's something that is intrinsic in me and I can't control it. I don't know what happens, but at any day, it, it, it does happen and I just go, yeah, right? And it comes out. Um, I don't think too much about what I'm doing. I don't really, and I shouldn't say this like this, but I don't really necessarily care what people think because I do this for a reason and it's my way of getting things out. If you don't like it... That's you. That's, no, it's not about that's you. That's real cool. Mm-hmm. I don't need everybody to like it. And I'm sure most musicians, you will tell me the same thing. When you yeah. write something... You write it and you're excited about it. If I say, you know, it is not really my vibe, no problem. Not everybody will like it, right? When Korn came out with their really unorthodox stuff that was going on at the time being... Untouchables, good album, by the way. Let's go back. Let's go Korn, Korn. When he boy cried in the end. When Jonathan Davis cried in Daddy. Yeah. Or whatever it was. It was real weird, but I felt it. I loved it. Iconic album, by the way. Yeah. We felt it. When I heard Blind for the first time, that changed my life. Yeah. Yeah, right? So when I sit down, whether it's at home, wherever it is, and I write a riff that I'm feeling at the time, whatever it is, it's because it's my vibes. Mm -hmm. And I write because it's for me. And I push that out there. If somebody takes that and pushes that into themselves or in their heart or whatever, and they like the vibes that's going and they push back. Like, for instance, when we play live, when the five of us stand up on the stage and we start a play, we are pushing our own vibes out. The people in the crowd absorb that and they either take it in and don't push anything back or they feel it and push back to us. When they push back to us, we then take that in and we push back again. And it's it's organic. It's real. And and that happens back and forth. And we push and we pull. And then that's what a show is about. And that's for me what music is about. It's a very emotional thing. Somebody dancing on a stage, not even singing. Selling an image. To me is not real. And that's fine for the people that like that. Okay? It's just not my thing. It's probably not your thing either. I I understand fully. I mean, they're selling a product at the end of the day. 
Right, and I work in advertising. I sell products every day, all day, right? But we sell products real though. I don't sell things that aren't real. Mm-hmm. Even when I get a brief from a client of mine, I try to absorb it from a a consumer point of view and try to sell it based on real vibes. You know what I mean? Real research and what people would agree or don't agree on. It shouldn't be we take this mic that we're talking into and sell it based on things that don't exist. I think I think a lot of it too is <clears throat> your perspective as an artist because some people write music to gather and generate an emotional response from the audience. For example, you look at the hook line for changes. I feel these changes. You know, it's personal. When you guys play that song live and I look back at the crowd, everybody is singing the hook. Because you may not think you're not selling anything, but I think it's an artist's duty to sell emotion. You are selling what you feel at the time. Now, as a solo artist, in the case of like Britney Spears and NSYNC and stuff like that, they are selling a product in the sense that they want you to be so invested to be and to love because many times these people play live, people are screaming at you know, and the girls screaming at the top of their lungs because NSYNC is dancing. And then they fall in love with that product. It builds that emotional connection. Like it's like it was like the precursor, the influencer culture that we have right now. Correct. So I think that it's always selling something. And as an artist and as a musician myself, when I write music. I don't get upset if nobody likes it. But there are a lot of people out there who believe that when they write something, people automatically are supposed to love it. Supposed to love it. And then if it's something that you care about, doesn't necessarily mean something that Scott cares about, what John cares about, Mark cares about. It's hard to hit all those buttons. And as I say in the band room all the time, you know, to quote Wayne's World 1, you know, Led Zeppelin didn't write music that everybody liked. They left that for the Bee Gees. And again, you look at the Bee Gees. At the end of the day, the Bee Gees is a boy band. A very hairy, manly <laughs> boy band. But they were selling a product. They were selling disco. Now... Our modern scene with the advent of YouTube and the internet, it seems that people are trying to sell very niche markets. You, Mark Ranger and I have this conversation all the time. On the last podcast, we discussed the same thing. You're trying to sell niche market metal. That's, well, metal on a whole, I think you would define as like, you have your mainstream metals, like your Metallica's. The Megadets. I don't even know what's mainstream anymore, buddy. But your big bands. That people on a dime could be like... You watch the many money makers. The money makers. The guys established. Right? Have your established ultra tier. Let's just say if they have 100 people in a room, 99, pe- 99 people of the 100 will know those bands. 
But then you go down, it's like a funnel. You go down to like your, your, you know, your next lower tier below that. Let's just say like the newly signed bands. That would be like 60 people of the 100 would know them. Like your unearths and stuff like that, you know, Lamb of God, Parkway Drive, your core. Kill Switch. Right. New, semi-established. Gojira. Right, you know, fresh. Love Gojira. I love Gojira too. Can't wait for the new album whenever it comes yeah. out. Then you break down to something even smaller. That's where you have your three pockets of ten. Have like your animals as leaders. I think they're bigger than that. But Periphery. Yeah, but again, it's still a very niche market. You have like your intronauts. Periphery. Um, the gosh. Tesseract. Yeah, these architects. These kind of bands that are like, they, even though they have a following on the internet because of YouTube channels or whatever, but they have like the same fans coexisting. So out of the hundred people in the room, it's like 10 people. We then have musicians in Trinidad who see these bands and like they, they're very passionate about what they do. And then they want to recreate it and expect to have a response from, say, the bands that have 60 people or 99 people in the room. And that bothers me quite a bit. Because you can't sell something and expect everybody to like it. And I think people don't seem to understand that perspective. Well, we have to be careful with how we say these things. So, I'm always careful, Scott. You know this. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, when you pick up a guitar in the first place, some people pick it up because I want to play, I want to be a musician, I want to write. Some people pick it up because I want to be a star. Mm-hmm. Right. So the guy says, I'm going to learn and I'm going to play and I'm going to be a star has a different expectation to the guy that is Kirk Cobain. Yeah. Now, when Kirk Cobain becomes a star, he's not ready for it, right? Can't handle it. But at the end of the day, the person, the Kirk Cobain, right? Or Dave Grohl, because he had to step up. It could go different ways, right? Yeah, it could. So Kirk Cobain went one way, Dave Grohl went another way. Both of them became stars. One dealt with it a different way than the other. But the person that wants to be a star is probably not going to be a star. Or they might be the biggest star on the face of the planet. And then they can't handle it because... No, they probably do handle it. Who knows? I mean, it depends on how you deal with it and how good you are. Right? I go back to that. As I say, the, the, the star is born show. He told her when she was starting to do well, mm-hmm. he said, if you have something to say, say it now. Because in the future, they're not going to listen. They're listening now. Yeah, because she's now big, right? Yeah. She's now getting big. He said, say, make sure that what you say now is what you want to say. Because in the future... They ain't going to care. Because basically what he's saying is they're a finite time, right? So 
which I thought was an important line, right? So, if you have something to say, always say it in a way that... It, I mean, all right, so you could read many things into that. I found it was cool because what he was trying to say is continue no matter how big you are to say the things that you want to say. So, write the music that you want to write and say the things that you want to say. Because to me, being creative, I'm not even talking only about music. Whether it's art, whatever the creative environment is, do what you want to do. Because it's your environment to do these things. Right? You're not supposed... I mean, are we supposed to do things how people tell us in terms of art? Because we work and we do things the way that we're supposed to do. We wake up in the morning, we're supposed to brush our teeth at a certain time, we're supposed to do all these things at a certain time, you're supposed to go to work at a certain time, all these things. When you're being creative, it's your time, right? Yeah. Right, to be creative, to do the way and the things that you want to do. Right? So if you want, they tell you to play a chord like this, mm-hmm. but you want to play a chord like this. Play it. So you play that chord like that, and you're like, this song is best to me. Okay, well, play it like that. That's your chord, right? And to me, like, let's go a little further back. Mm-hmm. Black Sabbath was a bunch of guys, three in particular. It was three or four. Four, yeah, four. They were the Beatles. And that is what came out. They were trying to be the Beatles. But that, what we know as metal now, was them trying to be the Beatles. They were playing chords, how they, Mr. Man, who had a half a finger. Tony Young. Big time Gibson user, play authentic. Yeah. Right? He was trying to, them men was just rocking out how they know to rock out. And that's what came out. The defined... Everything that we know now. Those two first two Sabbath albums are very, very, very iconic to me because I remember getting paranoid when I was 16 or 15 years of age. My mother, so like, like about two years ago? Yeah. My mother bought me Paranoid. And that album was important in the sense that pacing from beginning to end, you cannot get a better album Especially when compared to the first Sabbath album. Paranoid is the shit. And all you young listeners who haven't listened to Paranoid, go back and listen to it. It's it's so good. Recording wise too though, in those days. I mean it's Orange Amps they're using it. People don't realize that Orange Amps disappeared. Oh boy, that was high waters. Nah, that Paranoid I, I honestly believe Paranoid was orange. You could check me on that. Where's, Regardless, freaking, where's Mark when yeah, we Yeah, I him? know. <laughs> but it was recorded in Abbey Road. Yeah. Okay, so listen. It's, that it's, is like... The room the have ultimate, mojo. Yeah. It have mojo. And it gets like gazillions of dollars, right? At the time. Yeah. But you you go back and listen to these like iconic albums and you get, you know, a, a, a snapshot of what's going on. Because they were young when they recorded that album too. Ozzy was fairly freaking young. And same thing with Smiling Still, because Smiling Still is like the intercoin paranoid. It is almost like 
the perfect album for me. It's one of the few albums you can listen from beginning to end in terms of production because you have a little bit of taste of everything. Well, that... You should tell us what songs to play then. Yeah. If I write all your set lists, <laughs> nobody would about there will probably be like six people would be like, Yeah, this set list best. And I could probably name all six people right now. But no, but the site the the smile and still stuff is important. That's why when you guys play, you know, bastards and lesson to Lenin, if you do ever play smiling still, people still get that reaction. Because my story is very similar to a lot of people at the time. The Smile and Still CD was the gateway drug. So the cover of that CD was actually a, a picture from my, my cousin. Yeah, I, I meant to ask you about that. It was a carriage with a doll in it. Please get into the artwork of Smile and Still because I remember it being very brown. And It was my cousin... I, I I don't even know if it was her aunt or if it was Auntie Linda's. So um, Linda Pollard Lake is my aunt mm-hmm. and my cousin is Crystal Lake, okay. right? And at that point in time, um, we got the picture from her. All right. Right? And um, it it's was... a carriage with the two dolls in yeah, it. Yeah, that was a real family picture. Literally, that was a family picture. It's creepy yeah. as fuck. Yeah. I think James saw it. And James is like, this real mad. And we're going to use this. And it was really cool. Because it was Crystal's... Um, whatever. What I mean, um, I probably have to ask. Uh, I'm sure if I go into hard storage, I would probably still have that original CD. And... Well, I have the, the art, I think I have the artwork somewhere. I, but yeah, but... I think it, I have the original CD downstairs in storage. But it's James. I think James had brought it. He must have talked to Crystal about it and got it or whatever. But yeah, it's a family photo. Well, since, since we're talking CDs and stuff like that, so you guys used to sell a CD for $100 mm-hmm. at Just CDs. Do you remember any of the economics behind it and how much you would make on an album sale? I don't remember it being that much, to be honest. Like, what, $20 off a CD or something? Because it seems to me like paying $100 for that, you guys were kind of getting shafted. Like, I really can't remember those things but to be honest um we didn't really think about that we were trying to get out there i mean up till now we still try to get out there you know we do our stuff through DistroKid. yeah DistroKid uh, just makes it easy you pay yeah, one fee yeah and and it's out there but the, the main thing is that it's out there and so that everybody has access to it you get little things I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Why is the first insert album not on the internet? Um, that's a good question. Insert I think, one. I think... I want to hear Space Invaders. Um, that's a good question. I, I wonder if it was a quality thing. It's something we could discuss. I mean... Let's please, because insert one is important in the sense that you hear insert one because you guys played tunes off of insert one at the Mindscape show. And me and two other people yeah, are the you only, only two other people, people who were like, hey, they play in Dobermont. Like, it's like, hey, this is the deep cuts. Um, there are people out there, there are diehard insert fans who appreciate 
the deep cuts but when i want to go back and listen to it to get like a taste of where you guys came from i can't find it yeah okay so why is that do you know or have you not like even bothered no i think it was a quality thing at any point in time maybe a a discussion we could have i'll broach it because i've always wondered like even like not even having it on youtube or even that stuff. Like when you guys go into the band room and trying to determine a set, how because your songs, some of your songs are very iconic. How do you balance introducing new things among um, older standards? Because when you reach, because even with my band, everybody wants us to play Thirty Nymphs because it's a song that everybody likes because it's catchy as fuck. Yeah. So it has your changes. Yeah. Well, not yet. Sheep is more like the changes because sheep is mashed up the place. Yeah, I haven't heard sheep is coming soon. <laughs> um, and then like, how do you like balance? Because because I have a feeling like if when people come and you don't play changes, they might be disappointed. It's kind of like when Michael Jackson goes on stage and yeah. he doesn't do Thriller or yeah. doesn't do Beat It. Like if you were to pay all like these sides off the Thriller, even though they're good, people will still be robbed. How as a band? Do you get sick of playing the same tunes? Me? No. I enjoy playing all this stuff. Um, personally. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot that goes into it. So we would structure a set based on, I mean, at the end of the day, you can't play Indian is all for naught. Right? Because it's very high from a vocal point of view. Mm-hmm. You have to drop it half a step off. No, no, that dude. Let's say you, you start with that, mm-hmm. right? You don't now go and put very high things right after, right? So you have to be smart about how you do things, right? Because it's humans. So in terms of your right hand, let's say in terms of a guitar point of view. So, okay, so maybe in the end it's not hard to play. So we might do one that is hard to sing and then one that's hard to play and then one that's middle of the road and then one that's just whatever. Changes is easy for everybody, right? Um, No problem. Um, You have to be, we, we structure it in terms of vibes. So let's say we, we, we come up with this and then we bring it down a little bit. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not only technical and physical is also smart in terms of how you build a set for the crowd too yeah because you have your openers and you have your closers right yeah um honestly be if you ever get james on this he will talk to you more on this because i literally leave this more or less up to james to do to be honest because he's very good at the ebony flow of a set and how things move and he Wait, will you ask. Me, you tell me, James will talk. Well, he he will talk to you. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. No, yeah. but I understand what you said. Evan Flo was set to get the flow because. Yeah. I mean, the way I look at it, from set creation, you have your openers and you have your closers. You know, you have your. So, because you guys have, what I wonder was like, how would you go about now bringing? releasing new insert to the world if you have new insert new works that's the thing like um, in this modern day of technology because remember back in the day you would have to play a set 
play a tune because it's how I used to do it. Yeah. Your band plays it. See how people react and be like, well, we could change this part here. Yeah, no, no, no. We never did that, huh? Y'all never tested it? No. We'd write new, but we we would go about it, write an album, boom, drop the album and come out and start to play music. Um, It doesn't change. Um, I think, honestly, we would write music, release it. The cool thing about now is that we could write a single, throw the single, and go up and let people see and, and start to get acquainted with it because the times have changed. Yeah, so I could throw out a single. We could go about playing shows, throw out a next single, release a five-song EP, release an album, whatever. You can keep it, the content flowing. Yeah, it, it, it's the digital age now, and especially with me having my little studio home. John Stone Records. Whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The point is we could uh, we're gonna be doing stuff whenever we could do stuff. And because I think the album is kinda dying, even though Tool is coming and throwing a span and he works and saying the album's not dead. It's or how you do things. But I don't think I wanna wait thirteen years for a new album or new content from anybody in that regard. Well, I will say that between futility and in the end, it's all for naught. Was ten years, eh? yeah. It was a long time, yeah. Because remember, I told you that I didn't see insert for a long time. Because yeah. I think there was like you guys took a hiatus because life happened, which with everything happens. You yeah. know, people get married, they have kids, pri- priorities change. Yeah, I took a break from playing life myself too, because it just didn't make sense. Yeah. From a logistics standpoint, and I always never felt that Trinidad scene could get together. Still can't get together because it's basic shit. We always have a tendency of messing up. So, thank that God for um, GSD, right? GSD and Murky Mercs? Yeah. In Murky Mercs defense, those yeah. fellas know how to pull on a show. Yeah. And in terms of like logistics of simple things of starting on time, promotion, Promoters doing what they have to do. And a great engineer. Yeah. Um, this is this is the part of the podcast where we mention Marty. Yeah. <laughs> because everybody mentions Marty. <laughs> and if you wanted to know who Marty is, with Random Design Studios on Facebook, official plug, everybody loves Marty on the podcast. Each one of my guests have mentioned Marty. To this point, Marty, this is for you. I know you listen to the podcast and we love you very much. And if you want to hear what it sounds like, listen to the last insert. Yeah, it's that's all random design. Yeah. And same thing with Circle Square. And same thing with the stuff that I did with Booze and all the rest and Khaled and the rest of the stuff on the, the GSD stuff. All the, the GSD. Well, our single is Marty. Yeah. The 13M stuff. It's good. It's quick and it's a good workflow. Everybody knows that. We'll listen to this. But there's those promotion companies, but then there's this other half that don't seem to be getting up to the times. And this is where my part where I get up on a soapbox and I start to, as everybody say, troll and rip everybody. But I'm going to say it right now. There's a lot of promotion companies out there who can't get their shit together. And I'm sure you as an artist sometimes have to deal with that kind of nonsense because... I know it's hard to do a show and you play your heart out and then they come around and want to give you sandwiches or 
things just weren't in place on their end. Like you have no green room, people's gear goes missing, like little shit that shouldn't happen. I don't play them shows. Yeah. And so how does insert screen shows? That's the question. I mean, I mean, let well, me ask get ping on the show, and then you could talk about those things. We do. I saw ping on in peaks today, actually. Yeah. Well, talk to him. He will talk to you about these things. So but how let's talk about positives. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being a negative Nancy. No, no. I want to talk about positives with the new scene because you asked what about the new scene. Yes. So I'm going to talk about two bands. Let me hear you. The younger ones. All right. So we have the older ones, which is, and I don't want to throw my boys into the older scene. All of my my boys that... Go we, ahead. I'm sure they don't mind. No. I'm not going to throw Jared. And it was... Well, Lynchpin is the old scene. Well, at any day... They're 10 years old. They're in our... They're younger than us, right? But I don't want to talk about the Lynchpins and the Skies and us and Andy and them boys and all. I want to talk about the new boys, right? So... All right, let's hit the new bands right, turned so, on to right now. Right. So we're talking about BTA. Beyond the Anonymous. They mentioned right. last podcast. And Good BTO. Night. Bound to Oblivion. Right. So that was my two. Beta and B2. Beta and B2. Right. So. Big up Karen, by the way. He's right. a solid guitarist. Right. So. Good guy, too. Great guys. Very talented. I'm not going to say underrated because they're doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, they're doing great things. So I will never say they're underrated. But I must push them yeah. because it's my boys and I think they have a tremendous amount of talent and I, it left up to me. They will be playing every show with us. Okay. But that's not up to me. I don't throw shows. You're not a promoter. Correct. But again, it comes back to... Let's talk BTA for a second. BTA is Deathcore? That's Donny. Their new their new EP is, is very heavy. They they are very heavy band. Like I don't know how you can market that to the masses. It's not about masses. Well, this is the thing though. I mean Do they want to market to the masses or I'm not they sure. are playing metal and they whatever you wanna call it, deathcore or whatever, it's gonna be a niche. I don't care. I like it. Mm-hmm. You like it. I like it too. Right. But the thing is... So the people that like it, like it. It's back to what we were saying. They're playing music because they like it. And they're enjoying it. The same thing with BTO. Oh, BTO, yeah. I like their vibe because I saw them last at Stage in the Cage. Both of them are tight as fuck. I was very impressed. Good musicianship. Yeah. If the people that like Taylor Swift don't like it, who cares? This is true. Because at the end of the day, you might like insert. 99% of the people in this country won't. But this is the thing though. And this this is this is my argument. Insert has that casual appeal. You have some songs that will appeal to the non-metal. Like you have that balance. Really? Yeah. I think so. I really think so. You have your deep cuts. 
like Billy. Billy's not a deep cut though. I think I, deep cuts is like chosen son. Yeah. Half a smile is still album. I would consider smile is still a semi deep cut because you guys don't play that very often. It's the name of the album. It's track number two, I believe. Or yeah. three. Yeah, two. Two. It's comatose. But that was actually first album, huh? Eh? Yeah. I think about it. But it was also on the second album too. Yeah. And the third. And the third. Yeah. It's on three. Yeah. But it's nowhere near as big as changes. You understand? And then you have the one that you did the music video for. Okay, well, let me ask you a question. Put me on his spot now. Yes. What is your most influential for you in said song? If you had to, I'm going to die tomorrow, but I want to hear one in said song before I die. You want me to pick that tune? Yeah, one song. Um... For me, it would probably have to be Smiling Still. Because one thing Smiling Still did for me was, one, it started with reverse guitar. It then got heavy as ass. Then you had the syncopation between you and Bernard. And you had a great vocal hook with James. And Chad's bass line was rock solid. That song was the vibe of insert at the time because even though it was still like metal the way the drums were crashing and the way the bass was going you could tell that somebody who knew how to dance was playing it because it swings even from the instrumental it doesn't you can tell that it wasn't like built for the grid and it can give you that like if you just play through the guitar, even from the reverse guitar when you hear it. The way that started, and then it goes into the riff, there's a groove. And to me, groove is everything when it comes so to that metal. that song was written because I got the XP100. And it could reverse. No. No? No. What happened was... I had reverse with Ryan. Mm-hmm. We had flipped the intro. The 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 don't don't play that got reversed and it was that I was like that real mad like he start that with that none. True, right, Jack, yeah. But that's what he does. It's like we talk about things, it's like what if we do this or what if we do that? But that song was written because I got the X that was a whammy, yeah. Don't know we don't know we yeah. Yeah. Once and that I still have that pedal on. Our best pedal. Yeah, that is like revered. Like everybody running on that pedal, I'll never sell that. Because it's a solid, solid, solid pedal. Now the funny thing is, the only other track that I could think of that starts with a reverse guitar is "Castles Made of Sand" by Jimi Hendrix. Mm. And if he did it as a studio trick, and now you have confirmed that it's done as. Studio trick where he played one thing and then they flipped it around. Command R. <laughs> yeah. And you flip it backwards. And that kind of magic only happens when a band and an engineer is dialed in. And you have a vision. And I think that's probably why you guys named the album after the track. No. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, but nah. to me. Again, I don't get involved in that. That <laughs> I leave up to my partner. Really? James. I don't get involved in lyrics. I don't get involved in 
Them sort of things. I leave that up to James. So James is, is the creative man. Correct. In all them things. Where but those things are concerned, when it comes to music, he kind of leaves that to me. And we collaborate on those things. But when it comes to lyrics and names of songs and... I don't delve in them things. Let him handle it. So, so you, you dig in the... Is my choice sufficient? Or do you think that's like... Because I could pick something off one of the new albums, you know. But I think no, that... No, no, dude. That's awesome. That's that's one of my favorite listening tunes. And that was a tune that like anybody say, hey, here's I'm actually going to like pick up my phone and message James and say we need to play Smile and Still. Yeah, how to play Smile and Still. Smile and Still is a great track. And but I, it means I'd actually add something to my board, which is not fun. Yeah, I have more gear. It's up to date. Yeah, my street have um, I think it have a, a wami in it. So uh, the wami's not that good. I got <laughs> a wami. I have my wami home. Yeah, had a, yeah. Just run it on the floor. Yeah, just run it on the floor in the chain. That's all you had to because you put in that first anyway. Yeah, plug your wireless into it, then run from that straight. Talk done. That's all you had to. Or put I'll it do in that the, for you. Yes, man. Next time you play, when all you play next, is it Tracy? We gotta go that show. Next to Insta you play and smile. Nah, smiling still is a big tune. And that album was important to me. And so like you talk about smiling still, the middle of that was so great that um Brenny and Chad did, which you actually don't know. Um wish you could play it. There's a tukituku packet to do thing that they did together yeah, the that they worked out. They worked that shit out together. That was so cool. I tell you, it's the vibe. To me, what, what makes, I think a lot of modern metal is missing, is the groove. Because new modern metal is very supergated. It's very rigid. Squeezed together and compressed. Now, those of you who have listened to the new Tool album would know that the new album, even though it's all polyrhythmic bass, it has a groove. And to me, so when drummers write albums, you get that groove. And I don't know if you familiar with Probot. Yep. The Dave Grohl project. That entire album is all groove. Alright, so he is my hero, right? Oh, I so, love Probot. When Probot No, I'm talking about Dave Grohl. Oh yeah, yeah, he's the boss. He is the boss. He discovered Ghost. <laughs> as people like to give Ghost shit. Dave Grohl did their EP, If You Have Ghosts. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to that EP, that EP is amazing. Oh, I can hear all my ghost haters right now. Like, oh, ghost is shit. Dave not Grohl. shit, though. Huh? It's not shit, though. It's great. It's great. I think If You Have Ghosts is one of the best EPs you could listen to in terms of, like, tasteful covers and, like, good production. They, too, are a band. If you Let me let's discuss Ghosts for a little bit. Same thing you talk about taking an image and selling it. Nah, they win. They win. They, they're doing it like a boss. You have one lead singer as your product and say, I'm going to sell a dark metal image. And they're hitting the right notes because Ghost is, you know, it's shocking, but the music is catchy as hell. And that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, they're, they're selling their arena rock image um i think musicians sometimes have to strike that balance because sometimes it's not 
all about music. But if you want to be successful, if you want to be a rock star, you had you had to do it. You know what I mean? It goes back to in this moment. Yeah, I mean, I know you're an '80s guy. I'm an '80s guy. I wore this T-shirt for you today. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's Van Halen World Tour 1984. You know. You can't have Van Halen 2 without Van Halen 1. Van Halen 1 was the pop effort. Broke them through. But Van Halen 2 is that deep dive into what makes them Van Halen. Um, I feel like that might be a little bit lost in modern music because it's all about the single. You discussed this earlier where like I can release a single whenever I want, mm-hmm. but when do we get this chance to push our creativity so people can see deeper into the insert ethos? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like how smiling still gives you everything that insert does. Yeah. You have heavy, you have mellow, you have melodic, you have progressive. I mean, will you guys ever work on a project like that again, or you just don't think it would? be worth the effort what do you mean like a whole album effort like say, yeah yeah of course yeah we do it now do it now yeah how's the time frame for the new insert album looking um i want to put a time frame on it it's ready when it's ready yeah um we're gonna do stuff we're doing stuff um let's wait and see what happens but we're definitely gonna release something soon it might just be a single, right? To give you the Teeth. start a boom, and then things are going to come. Personally, I am, as you know, I talked to you about this, I'm working on my own stuff. Which, I got a taste. It sounds pretty pretty good. Um, If you like that, you can really feel your influences. Yeah, 90s. How... Do you push your influence in a creative circle with more modern musicians like Khaled and Ping and those guys? How do you guys come to a balance? Because it seems like you guys are all over the place musically in terms of like... You mean any band? I if you Yeah, writing. like when you're writing together. Do you just be like... Like how does it work now compared to like how all the inserts used to work? Different, but it's kind of cool. Um, everybody has their own vibe. Um, we did this actually the other day, which was kind of cool. And we have some cool ideas. Um, it's different. I'm accustomed to being a loner. Mm-hmm. So I'll go home and write something or James might write something. Or when Dion or Chad was in the band or Adam... We'd write pieces. And so the piece starts. And even now, David might come with something or Ping might come with something or Khaled might come with something. But the other day, we were, it was random and it was kind of cool. We came together and we wrote a real cool vibes. Like we went into the band room and just we do a writing session. So you guys have writing practice then? Like in terms like you just jam? This was the first time. Okay. Um, it was really cool. And we wrote some real cool shit. Which I'll take home and I'll put our own stuff and then we'll take it from there. 
So collaboration is key, which you guys know when it comes to like, kind of like sitting in your bedroom, talking the day with everybody, circle around. Different. Different. You're excited for it or you feel like? I'm always excited. So your personal project of Scott finding himself musically. Mm-hmm. That has that always been like a personal passion. You also just something you just feel like I feel like doing it because I'm feeling creative and I want to test my chops. It's exactly that. You want to test your chops? No, it's like I always wanted to flex my wings. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner, Paul Amar. Ah, yes. Paul. Paul's a great guy. Uncle Paul. Uncle Paul. He was the person that was like, hey, come and sing back up now. When I was in 70H, sing this, sing that. And I would be like freaking out because that doesn't come natural to me. Yeah, to put a mic in your mouth and start singing, you get real self-conscious about your voice. Freak out. Yeah. Um, and I just decided, you know what? Let me just do it. And so I started to write stuff and just started to do stuff and I have three songs I'm gonna try and stop at 12 is me now or what are you doing a whole album well, we'll see you have the, the link so you'll see I it do. updating I do have the link yeah I know the link is not for shares it's for my ears only yeah so we'll see what happens I mean I played one of the tracks and from the minute I turned it on I was like it it take it took me back to um, Siamese Dream. And that kind of... It's going to be 90s because that's where my influence is. Oh, yeah. I pay what you like. I mean, nothing wrong with that. Um, I enjoy it. I'm sure a lot of people enjoy it too. Um, How are you going to release it? On like your personal page? Or are you just going to master it foreign? Or is it just... Um, I want to reach out. But it'd probably be the, the same route. Mm-hmm. You know, iTunes, all of the different stuff. I'll probably come by you and we'll play it live. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. If you want people to play with, you know, that's always a good time. But yeah, but um, so how do you feel like putting yourself out there vocally and stuff like that? Have you shared it with, like, the family and stuff like that? Or are you just keeping it to yourself? Wife, even though you were working on an album, the first, yeah. So as my wife and my daughter was the first two, mm-hmm. and then the next one was James because I was freaking out about singing in general. Um, James was very supportive. He gave you vocal lessons. No, <laughs> but but um, but yeah. Then my sister next. And then my dad, and then onwards to you. Thank you. And then that's about it. Uh, I won't really pass that, to be honest. Um, Because I know you're spending real hours behind. Because I see in the Instagram where you have a microphone, you have this and you have that. And you're kind of learning as you go along. You do the drums too, or? Mm -hmm. So you're doing drums, bass, guitar vocals same thing you, get, you, you told me about the own hammer stuff 
Yeah. That's what the guitar is. Of course. Man, man must know good tunes, son. Yeah. Um, bass is on hammer too, actually. Very. It sounds good. It's it sounds it sounds massive. Like I, I'm, I'm I'm really I'm really upset that like people can't hear it and get the context right now, but they will hear it in time. But that's good that you're putting you know your foot down and doing those things because I have always toyed with the idea with the wife that I will do a, a track like I'll do a series of tracks called um short songs for smart people. That's a good name. Thank you. And it would be tracks under like kind of like how David Girl did Probot. And I would get some of my favorite frontmen from the Trinidad scene. I give me a track that's two minutes long. Here's a rhythm track. You write and sing anything you want to sing. And then I'll put it on album and put it out. I actually have a couple of riffs and stuff like laid down there for it. And I've just always wanted to wait for people when they get around to do it now and just release it for kicks but that's good and people need to realize that putting in the creative work by yourself is no but i i needed to say these things like there's a song about my daughter mm-hmm. which is godsend which you talked to me about today we were talking about that's it. that's a great track it's yeah that is about amelia mm-hmm. um and it, and I needed to write that song. Um, there's one that I haven't recorded yet that is going to be about my cousin that died from cancer. And that's going to come, and that's going to be very emotional. It's coming. But as I said, I'm, I'm, I mean... At the end of the day, it's your legacy. You leave it. Yeah. I mean, because this is kind of like what these podcasts and stuff are about. You record things and you know. I would have loved to have a time machine to go back and talk to you after Smiles to release. Just to get that perspective and to keep it logged at that point in time. But I get it now and I think this is like probably the most information you have recorded of the album online as to like recording process, what you use down to what you need, model guitar, amps, everything. So if people want to ever go and recreate the smile and still sound, they can. And I, I, yeah, they would. <laughs> I would. <laughs> you never know. Seven year itch might have to what, do something and have like to this. recreate the tone. It's like a big V horse. Yeah. All bass, all highs, no mids. No, it's bass and mid like this, and no bass and highs like this and mid like that. Yes, a V. Yeah, v. yeah. But that that was the sound of the time. But yeah. no, that's that's great, and you have to put in the work and leave your mark and i think with success because i was having this um conversation with jose recently actually at the gig on saturday and it seems like a lot of bands are forgetting to leave their mark insert left their mark alexis machine left their mark orange sky tripped and falling some of the newer bands yes linchpin have left their mark but it's like at the same time too it's like you compare the um the early alexis machine albums your album super normals freshman effort and stuff like that these iconic albums leave their mark in the sense that 
when you want to give somebody something to see what Roka Rock is about, you can hand them that and say here. Mm. Because they're their own thing. They're 100% Trinidadian and it doesn't feel like a carbon copy of something from outside. You know what I'm saying? Like, you pick up an anti-everything CD. You get that vibe. It's fresh. It's Trinidadian. It's political. But to be fair, right? Um, To say that Sivan's newest scene... I like or, Millennial Holocaust. I think no, what I'm saying, what I'm saying, right? So, what's Ivan doing now, or what I'm doing now, or what Siam doing now, or what um, we've all come from a point, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we all do anything now, but we've come from a, what Nigel doing now. It's all come from a point. Yeah. Right. Um, we only think about what's now in the forefront. Paul played in Joshua mm-hmm. a long time ago. Nobody knows about that. Mark played in, gosh, what was it? Can't even remember the name of the band. But the, the point is, is that we've all come from a long Good. A long legacy yeah. of things. Yeah. It it's we've all come, right? Same thing with you. What you played in, what we've done. People earmark these things. It's just notches. Yeah. Right? And that's cool, right? And we only but again we need to look at the future. So like we talked about the BT and the BTO. That's the next generation. That is is the generation generation that is going to move forward and make, maybe they might be like, hey, hey, Chris and Scott, they helped me. Maybe or no. Whatever. It doesn't matter. They are the ones to move forward. Right? The Karens. Donnies. And the Donnies of the world. Those guys, yeah. Right? Those are the ones to lead forward. And the other ones that come up, my daughter is coming. She's playing guitar. Kind of. She could, she's barked on my album. Nice. I will tell she's coming. Your daughter is coming up. She barked on your album. Yeah. And well, she's going to be, she's listening to my sugar and stuff like that too or what? Or? Well, she's listening to a lot of stuff. But um, I'm trying very hard to get her to play. But it's coming. Well, that's good because Terry tells me, you know Terry George, he tells me his daughters play guitar. And he does have her listening to all Amongst songs. other things, he told me. She's actually playing all kind of stuff. Yeah, she's listening to all sorts because he's always coming. Yeah, boy, Chrissy boy, she listens to ACDC and things like that. I say, <laughs> yeah, man. But that's good, you know, and the next generation needs it. And I think it all starts with because they have an advantage what we have because bands like Touchdown, John Desai, Orange Peel, you really can't, yeah, you can't get, you can't get their recordings just so. And a lot of that stuff is kind of lost. But you guys actually have physical albums and digital medium is there. So they can always look back and see where we come from. Even music videos from insert and stuff like that, you can be like, yeah, she can see you with long hair. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting times. Um, you know, Scott, we we, we really had to thank you guys for the stamp you put on a lot of the metal fans. A lot of the younger guys too really look up to insert as one of the important pieces to where we are today. Because I don't think metal would be as popular as it is in Trinidad if it wasn't for insert Alexis Machine, Overdose, HSV, and those bands. Okay. And you know, it, it it's hard because you, you figure like you look at the new crowd now and it's like they they won't quite get it but you know the foundation is there and that's important and you know it's we just had a bill on it and I'm glad that your daughter's getting the metal appreciation I I try with the young ones and people listen some people don't so Scott I really want to thank you for coming on and making this happen because this was a long time you tell the people on the internet where they can find you and what's happening in your life right now um well we need to start off with only general podcast hey um i actually want to do a couple plugs go ahead because the floor is yours all right so i want to big up gst as well i know as my boys, but That's whatever, good. but they're doing great things. Um, if we go any insert route, um, we have you can check us out on Facebook, you can check us out on Instagram. Um, we have plenty of stuff going up. Um, personally, uh, my own is insert racing with, with a C, right? Um, I'm gonna be bringing up. Uh, something new soon um, if you check out my Instagram you'll see the, the, the progress potentially when I um, reach the point where I want to share something I'll probably be sharing it here and probably with Mikey very nice yeah so that and that's it thank mm. you for having me hey Scott you are always welcome in my house I love you. I'm sure my wife loves having you over. <laughs> even though she's Poor safe. Wife. Yes. Yeah. That's you guys you guys are great. Insert's important to me. Insert is important to a lot of people. Um it's really important that we document these things. So if you have anything else you want to share with me with this episode, just send it to me. I'll sure. put it up and stuff. Everybody, thanks a lot for listening. Say bye, Scott. Blessings. Thanks for listening to this entire episode. As always, like, share, and discuss in the comments. For future episodes, check us out on your favorite podcast platform or anchor.fm slash only general. Come